there's this constant tone week over week of we are we are crossing the lanes and we're helping each other and we're, we have each other's backs and over time that builds into a into a type of culture where that's expected and i tell people if you have a hard time narrowing it down to one then good okay you, you have a lot of collaboration if you can't think of anybody to name then that's your problem you haven't collaborated hey there this is ben thanks for tuning in to lead the team before we jump in, we just broke into the top 3% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Welcome back to Lead the Team. Today for you, I've got a treat heading your way with Keith Fulton, who's the Senior Vice President and CIO of the Account Processing and FinTech Division of Fiserv. Prior to that, he was chief technology officer over at ADP and held senior level positions at MoneyGram International, Tier Technologies, and Choice Pay, and even more beyond that. Now, if you're not familiar with Fiserv, it's a, a very large company. They have over 44,000 employees, $17 billion in sales, and they are the leading global technology provider serving the financial services industry, driving innovation and in payments, processing services, risk and compliance customer and channel management. Holy smokes. Now back to Keith. He's also a finalist for the Orbi Award, which is the CIO of the year in the state of Georgia, a graduate of Rice University. And probably most importantly, his claim to fame is he loves being a dad. That's right. To to his 11-year-old son. I've got an 11-year-old daughter. So I'm kind of I'm kind of vibing with you on that. And of course, he is his biggest fan. Keith, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much, man. It's a great, uh, great chance to be here. Thanks for having me. That's right. He is. I'm in Charleston, and he is in Alpharetta, Atlanta, Georgia, and that neck of the woods. So let's dive in. We were talking about this, so let's let's kind of go double click on a little bit. What have you learned about getting senior executives to think and act like a team? Yeah, well, that's a uh, that's a question near and dear to my heart, Ben, and I. I would say that, you know, growing up as I became a senior leader, I thought that my job was to take care of my swim lane. I'm in charge of technology. Someone else is in charge of sales. Someone else is in charge of finance and accounting. Mm. And so if I take care of my swim lane. They'll take care of theirs and we'll all be fine. <laughs> and what, what I've learned in the past mm. 10 or 15 years is that that's not enough. Okay. Mm. And I, I tell my team that, you know, you, uh, you're in your swim lane and I need you to take care of the swim lane, but we're all in the same pool. And we have to take care of the entire swimming pool, okay? And we're all, and so the water, we succeed or fail together. And uh, and that's really important. And so hmm. I think, you know, at the end of the day, we have to bring that home to our leaders. Uh, to And so to my direct reports that are all leaders of their own large teams, um, it's important for me to treat them that way so that then they'll cascade that attitude down to their teams. We're all in the same pool. We have a lot of different lanes. The lanes are important and they're there for a reason. But it's really important that we we cross the lanes and we lock arms and we do things together as well. I love it. It's, it's ultimately synchronized swimming, isn't it? 
<laughs> we're playing on the same performance and i like that so for for you those of people listening uh and this resonated with me in many ways because one if anybody out there is managing projects they've probably seen the swim lane charts right which are literal ways to sort of define roles positions the lanes of process and i love how you're describing that as hey, even though we're in these lanes don't forget we're in the same pool and yeah, so um, I think, for example, one of one of the things that I do with my with my own leadership team is in my staff meeting every week, we start with uh, what we call weekly positivity, where each okay. of my direct we go around the table or virtual table in a virtual room teams, and each of my directs has to thank another one of my directs for something they got help with that week, and and they're only allowed to thank one person, okay, and that turns out to be a surprisingly hard rule to follow. But the point is, pick the most important thing that someone helped you with that week, because uh, otherwise it turns into an Oscars acceptance speech and it goes. On. <laughs> thank yeah. you, thank you very much. Yeah. I got to thank my mom and my, you know, <laughs> what you. So what you what huh. ends up happening is you get a status of what was everybody's biggest crisis of the week, and who helped them with mm. that in the room. And so there's this constant tone week over week of we're we're crossing the lanes and we're helping each other and we're, we have each other's backs. And over time, that builds into a into a type of culture where that's expected. And I tell people, if you have a hard time narrowing it down to one, then good. Okay, you, you had a lot of collaboration. If you can't think of anybody to name, then that's your problem. You haven't collaborated. What's been the most surprising thing that someone's thanked someone for <laughs> in that moment? Well, uh, that's a good question. I think, you know, there's a lot of partnership on uh, on problem solving or can I borrow a resource to do this or that? Um, or I had a, I was in a jam and I needed somebody's mm-hmm. help a second. Sometimes as we, we thank our HR partners or we thank our finance partners. So it just depends on the particular situation, um, who we are. I think, I think the most surprising thing is how hard it is to get someone to just thank one person. People, there's thinking, there's thinking, it's like, well, I won't mm-hmm. thank this person, but I will thank that. And that way they get two people in or they'll thank, I'll thank someone in advance for something next week. Now. And so they put pressure on that person in a jokey way, right? There's a lot of laughter involved. Yeah. But a, watching the number of loopholes as people innovate on how to only thank one person and get what they want out of it is uh, actually quite funny to watch. You know, I think this is a this is a really good strategy to you say you can thank one person yeah. because it makes them. And I think about just giving feedback in general; it makes them be more specific versus yeah, like oh yeah, they they helped us out. Versus saying, "Hey, this person did something," and it made them makes them be more specific about it, and that's the behavior that you want to see repeated in the future too. Probably, it forces them to prioritize, and it ends up being a status report. You know, sometimes I've been in years of staff meetings where the boss would make us go around the table and give an update, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and those tend to be dreary and repetitive and bland, right? But by yeah. doing it in the context of thanking someone else for helping you. And to only do it with one person, you're basically having to focus on the thing that happened that was the most important thing that week, the, the biggest crisis, the biggest opportunity to help, the biggest problem solved. And so it ends up being a more interesting way to do that roundtable status as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've done this for many, many years now. And a lot of my people that work for me now or that have worked for me in the past have started doing it with their teams because at the nice. end of the day, let's, re- let's, let's cascade that tradition down and let's reinforce every week. That we're in the same swimming pool. Yeah, you know, I love that. And one of the things that I, I I do a lot of executive coaching, and I was talking with my clients literally two days ago, or yesterday or two days ago, about it. And 
one of the things, and then this ties into what you're saying so well, is he he leads an IT organization in, in a in a business and has a similar thing that he's thinking about. But usually the company has like a nomination process. You have to nominate somebody from another team to get an award. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he was expressing some frustration with like, well, there could, I want to thank this person through this corporate process. And he was afraid that they wouldn't get highlighted or they wouldn't get the monetary incentive and whatnot. So what he's decided to do is to create, and I'll talk, this think this reminds me of the Orbi award that you're nominated for. He's going to create his own, uh, his team is going to create their own award nominations mm-hmm. for other groups in the company. And they're going to give them out in November uh, for people that help them. So it's kind of what you're saying, but you, I like that you're doing a more uh, regular basis. Yeah, I think awards are nice too. We try to do those uh, annually in my team. Yeah. But we, I think there's something about company culture. I have a theory that culture is somewhat about you know, what are you financially rewarded for or you get recognition awards of some sort. But a lot of times it's just what do you get a pat on the back for? Okay, what do you get teased yeah. out and criticized for versus what do you get a pat on the back for? And if you get a pat on the back for helping your peer, even at an SVP level, right, that influences that person. And if it happens on a regular basis, we give each other pats on the back on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be financial. That's what creates culture and friendship and social capital in your in your leadership team. Right? That is so awesome. I love that. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So let's move ahead. One question here now on your career. What have you noticed that high performers have in common? Uh, yeah. Um, so here's a, so this is something I think about a lot because I'm always working on creating new high performers and finding them and you know grooming them to be even better and so on. And I think mm-hmm. what it comes down to is high performers have, in, no matter what the industry is, no matter what their uh, function is, I, I tell my team that it's a steady trickle of pleasant surprises. Okay. There are people that work. <laughs> Wait, that steady work trickle of, of pleasant steady surprises? Pleasant surprises. Okay. okay. And I, those words matter because each one means part of it. Okay. But I would say um, we all have people that we work with that we love working with or that work for us, okay? And there are certain people that just, that you you give them an assignment and they go away for a day or a week and they come back with what you with what you ask them to do and they mm-hmm. give you a readout on it. And it's so nice when what they did is actually better than what you were expecting. And it's a little bit better. The PowerPoint's better, something's prettier. They, did, they thought of the question in a different way than what you said and they, mm-hmm. they surprised you in some way. And it doesn't mean they blew you away or there. It's not a mountaintop moment. But it's just nice that they did something. They took it to a level that you hadn't thought of, or they did something nicer than what you thought. Wow. And then they didn't just do that once, but they do that regularly. Okay. And that's why I say steady because it's regular and it's repeated, but it's also not constant. Nobody can do that constantly. Nothing, nothing's mm. a pleasant surprise constantly. But I think to say it's a trickle, like every so often you get a pleasant surprise from that person on what they do. And I think the, and the pleasant surprise is just saying it doesn't have, it just has to be 5% better. It doesn't have to be 10x better. It just needs to be a little bit better than what you thought. And you're like, oh, wow. Okay, that's a good, did a good job on that. I like that. And so hmm. if you have people that do yeah. that over time, 
you build trust and expectation that even when you have high expectations of those people, they still exceed your expectations a little bit, right? You've probably heard the saying that the new expectation is to exceed expectations, right? Meeting expectations, <laughs> yes. meeting expectations. Conversely, though, mm. with people that are low performers, a lot of there are people who just are terrible at their jobs and they, they need to be out. Okay. But there's another group of people that, you know, everything they do is a little bit disappointing. And they didn't <laughs> quite get it. You gave them an assignment, they did their week of research, or they put the deck together, whatever it is. And they they come back and it's not quite what you wanted. And you have to tweak it or you have to take it over yourself and fix it, or you make them go do round two of it. And even that's a little disappointing. And it doesn't mean it's the end of the world and they didn't completely drop the ball, just not quite what you wanted. And so the unpleasant surprise or a little bit of slight disappointment is that's that's the low performer in that world, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so the high performers are constantly giving you little surprises that are that are pleasant and positive. And so I think that's what I try to get my team to strive to do with me and to coach their own teams on. How do you exceed expectations in little ways all the time? Hmm. A lot of wisdom in that. And I think as a leader using that with your team, it's an achievable guideline. I think too many times people do say, well, like you were saying, you have to exceed expectations or we're here to blow away our customers' expectations. We're exceeding them so far. They're going to be just, but doing it. And, and I like it. It's almost like it's, it's a, it's a cumulative approach right. that you're talking about. Like savings, like you're like you're putting a little money in savings. There's a you're snowball. doing a little bit extra. There's a snowball effect to it. And let me take it to another level for you, Ben, which is mm-hmm. this. And that is that this kind of this applies in your personal life too. Okay. So when I think mm-hmm. about my son, as you as you said in my intro there nicely, I have an eleven year old son and I love hanging out with him. Okay, but am I giving him pleasant surprises? I'm like when he mm-hmm. says, Hey dad, you want to go play catch outside? at a time when he probably knows that I'm tired and I'm not going to do it. When I say yes, and he's like, oh, wow, okay, let's go do it. Okay. Or with my wife, you know, am I giving her unpleasant surprises with my socks on the floor? Or am I giving her pleasant surprises because I brought her a Starbucks one day when I came home from work? Like that level of like steady trickle of pleasant surprises is something to hold yourself to, too, with the people around you. Mm. Yeah. So often we get caught up in, in a personal level, like we're going to, do this for Christmas and they're not going to expect it or yeah. whatever, but they're expecting a gift around Christmas or, or, or whatever your holiday that you celebrate happens to be. But like yesterday, so my daughter uh, went to the dentist in the afternoon after school, she didn't have any cavities and uh, we didn't have a lot of time, but she's like, I want to go to Turbo Cone, which is like this local Charleston ice cream parlor. And we had, we had this new puppy, my gosh, like a nine week old running all, you know, wants to run all over the place. And I am the crazy guy who takes the puppy to the dentist, uh, with us. And I, and she probably thought I was going to say, no way, this is just too much. But I said, yes. And it ended up being great. And she was surprised. I was surprised at myself, by the way, <laughs> I was like, I can't let I'm great and do this, but, but, but it worked out really well. And again, that makes it so much more manageable uh to to have to create those moments with your family and, and friends repeatedly that snowball effect will be there and the accumulation effect that you're talking about will, mm-hmm. will have those memories will develop and they'll have a pleasant endorphin rush every time they think mm-hmm. about it. it's in the workplace yeah and i really like that and the way that you speak about it i don't want to get too far beyond it sounds like you, it's a habit that you've created for yourself I, I try to. I, I'm not perfect with it, 
by any means, but it's something I think about. Am I typically giving unpleasant surprises or pleasant surprises? And I do this with my own boss, getting back to the corporate world, right? I want everything that I do for my boss to be a little bit better than what he thought it was. Yeah. So, so tell me a time when you offered a pleasant surprise to your boss. Oh, uh, I don't hey, by know. the way, we're talking. These are a lot of people that you, that that you're leading here, right? But right. I, I, how big is your team, more it's or less? Three thousand. Three thousand. Okay. All right. So these are your boss has ten thousand, something like that. Yeah. So, you're, so we're talking about a, a pretty like this is a habit, or this is this is something you do. That if a lot of people do it, we're really moving the needle here, potentially. That's right. Well, how's that come out on a personal level? It works if you're a programmer and you've got a, a, a programming supervisor as a boss. Mm-hmm. And it works if you're a CIO and you have a group president as a boss, I think. Yeah. So I would say, like, um, I needed to do a breakdown of our budgets, budgetary spend on on items that we had done this year by quarter. And I did it in a way that, you know, I, I kind of broke down the spreadsheet in a very simple way and created the pivot tables that I needed. And I laid it out for him. And it was so clear and so obvious. And he was like, darn it, I wish I wish everybody would make something this clear. We need to adopt this as a standard. Right? There you go. But, and it's just a spreadsheet, right? It's not I'm not changing the world and I'm not revolutionizing Pfizer. It's about each little thing you do is a little bit better hmm. than what the person was expecting. Yeah. And, yeah. Hmm. Such a great example. So let's let's dive into another chew on another question here. What sure. have you noticed about work-life balance when it comes to high performers? Because to me, sometimes those don't go together. If you're a high performer, you're there's an element of sacrifice That's right. uh, in there. And so work-life balance can be a challenging thing. So so what have you noticed there? I think, yeah, I think um this is work-life balance has been a thing for 20 years, and it's it's always talked about in terms of the trade-offs between your life and your work. And if you choose a lifestyle, um, then you know you're you're cutting back on your work and you're mm. sacrificing your career for that. Yeah. But as a person who's you know I I've had a nice career and I've been pretty successful and I'm lucky about that, but I've also put a lot of work into it. I'm also quite a family person, and I I, I don't want to trade off. I don't want to sacrifice my career for my family, or vice versa. I'm not going to sacrifice my family. At the end of the day, though, you can't do it all. So there are trade offs to be made. So the way that I uh, talk to my people that I mentor about this, and the way I think of it myself is that the balance of life, the so-called balance of life, is not balancing work and personal. It is balancing the times when you're in balance from the times when you're out of balance. Okay, if you're a if you're a good teammate, you're a high performer, the team's counting on you, your boss is counting on you, your directs are counting on whoever, you can't just walk away because it's five o'clock and just stop because then you're not a good teammate and you didn't make the deadline. You didn't fit, finish the crunch time problem. Okay. So sometimes you do have to go hard and get things done and, and take take the work seriously. But that doesn't mean you have to do that all the time. So the trick is to recognize mm-hmm. when that pressure is not on you so that you can go back and invest that time in your family uh, and take get back, get out of the 60-hour weeks, go back to 40s and, and you know, invest in your family, invest in your, uh, you know, hobbies or whatever you're, you know, get your mental health back where it needs to be. And then the next time the crunch time comes up, you're more ready for it. You're rested. You're not as burned out. And your family's more ready for your crunch time, too. And so I think mm-hmm. it's about being able to turn it on and off that intensity. 
people who are in that intensity and kind of get addicted to that intensity, we call them workaholics. Okay. But if you are, if you can amp up your intensity at the times that it's needed, but then turn it right back down when it, when that moment's over, then you can have, you can be counted on in your professional life and your family can also count on you. I really like that. It reminds me of another metaphor too, that I think plays with it nicely. This idea of the marathon versus the sprint. Mm -hmm. And when you sprint, you have to recover after you have that. You mentioned the word intensity. I think that's a great expression for it. We all know what intensity is, what focus is, but maintaining that each and every day is, it just wears you down. And so having that time for recovery, and I like your metaphor because it goes the extra step with, well, what do you do when you're out of the sprinting? Well, you do recover, right? You, you dedicate some more time to your family, right? You, I think another great example of that is that the time leading up to make a family vacation or family trip, it seems like it always, there's like a sprint intensity leading up to it. So you can downshift for a while. That's right. Yeah, I've been a uh, joke that I'm not sure family vacations are worth it because the intensity leading up to it to catch up and get ahead is very high. And then yes. you see when you get back, the work that's, that you come back to is also very high. So I think, but yeah. you know, it's worth it to do that. And I think it also comes down to boundaries, right? You have, most of us have jobs that they would, they would take every moment of our being if they could, you know, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to find hard boundary and define hard boundaries of what we won't sacrifice because they're the most important things to us. And even when we're at our most intense moments, there are certain things we're not going to throw overboard, no matter what situation we get into. And so I think that's another way that I, I feel like my family, that I and my family are able to find the right balance where we have a very intense, very uh, hard career, but we also mm-hmm. love our family and we, we prioritize them and they feel like a priority. And I think that's really, that's critical to sustainability of, of a career like this. I think COVID really brought this into stark relief for a lot of people mm-hmm. working from home. And now we have the whole uh, sort of return to office uh, phenomenon and, and people are thinking about these balances much in a much different way than they were even three years ago. And so I think as we, as, and I think, you know, most, most of, uh, most of the people I know have returned to offices at least some of the time, you know, mm-hmm. but everybody is now figuring out those trade-offs and balances and boundaries for themselves. And uh, as long as you kind of reserve space to be intense when your team is counting on you, you can do a lot the rest of the time. That is really cool. It reminds me of uh, also uh, lots of things coming to mind on me, like Cal Newport. He wrote this book, Deep Work. He has his formula, um, time plus intensity equals work accomplished. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand that, by the way, for a long time. I definitely did not understand it in college. And that is why I was so frustrated with my roommate who wouldn't study until like a day or two before the test. And he would cram and he would make a better grade than me. And uh, he understood intensity. Now, I'm not saying everybody should cram last minute deadlines and stuff like that. But how you are in in your workday makes a difference. It's not just the hours worked. It's how intense you can be. That's right. During that time period. Man. All right. So you uh, talk a lot about this expression, putting points on the board. What exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, that's a good, uh, it's a good segue here because, you know, it, it, you can have a lot of work and a lot of effort and even a lot of intensity. 
without actually accomplishing very much. And so one of the things that I talk to my team a lot about is actually accomplishing things, okay? As not confusing effort with accomplishment. And the, the best examples are in sports, okay? Right now we have the football season going on right now. And in football, there's all kinds of statistics that are measured. And the one that I usually quote is like yards of offense, okay? So a team can have 300 yards of offense in a game and be very successful and move the ball down the field, okay? But if they can't get it over the line and score a <laughs> touchdown, they lose, okay? Nobody cares at the end of the day what your yards of offense is, okay? Or percentage pass completion or what your rushing yards are versus your passing. They don't care about any of that. The only thing that matters is mm. points on the board. If you get it, if you get points on the scoreboard, then it counts. And if you don't, nothing else matters yeah. no cares about your effort. Okay. And no. so when I, when I apply that then mm. to, to uh, situations at work, it might be, we've worked very, very hard for six months on this product release. Okay. So we've marched down the field. Okay. We're on the one yard line, get it into production, get the clients happy. That's points on the board. It's not an accomplishment until you get it over the line. And so finishing, finishing the job all the way to the end. Yeah. That's uh-huh. what, that's what putting points on the board is. Everything else is just effort and noise. Okay. Which is necessary to get to, to points. Like you got to drive down the field sooner or later. Right. But, but that it's necessary, but it's not enough. And so I, I try to get my leaders to focus on the actual moment of accomplishment mm-hmm. with their teams rather than the thing or not, you know, in addition to the effort involved in, in getting there. Yeah. I, I like that theory an awful lot and it makes sense to me. And then I like this, the, the, like you go the extra step. So, Hey, points on the board and then you leave the leader, help them translate what that is. Okay. Points in this is getting it done. This is what a good job looks like. And of course, if they're listening to this podcast, they're going to do it slightly better than what, uh, <laughs> go the extra mile, get a few extra points on there. That's right. I think right. some of it also comes down to counting things. Like in a lot of groups uh, in my department, they work a lot, but they don't try to quantify what they're doing. So there's an aspect to mm, uh, claiming nice. claiming credit and counting things where it's not, you know, you, you probably heard the the saying that the plural of anecdote is not data. Okay. Um, we have to, we have to collect the data about what we're mm. doing, even know what our points on the board are. We have um, a thousand clients using a piece of software. How many have moved to the new version? We got it into production. How many have moved? Okay. Is it 10 clients that have moved or 990 clients that have moved and we have 10 left? And so counting things helps you figure out that sense of accomplishment and where are you, you know, and how many points you really have on the board as well. And so I think uh, if you combine this, this kind of let's not confuse effort for accomplishment, and then you combine that with a little bit of counting um, and not accounting, I'm not saying mm-hmm. accounting. And counting things uh it's surprisingly foreign to a lot of teams to try to count what they're doing and uh something I've, i try to emphasize and teams teams adapt to me as i come in and start talking this way yeah i like that we're i'm in that business too where leadership training uh podcasting for companies right finding ways to help quantify it in meaningful ways and i think a great leader does that you know, not just say put the points up, but help them understand what the points are and help them quantify it. That's and right. there's way there's a lot of just feel good dollars being spent out there. But that may be okay in the short term, but figure out a way to to quantify that so we know what you're actually doing with it. What, what I say is like if we if we believe something is true, like we say 
this new version of the product is better than the last version. Yeah. We're more productive than we used to be. And we have anecdotes from our clients. We believe things are true and we feel good about it. Well, we should be able to find data that backs that up and that yeah. shows that it really is true that we did get more productive. Our clients do like this version better than the last version. And if we can't actually, if we don't have data that shows it, then all we're doing is patting ourselves on the back in a, you know, what could be a false way. Mm-hmm. And so as we want to run it up to our leaders or to share it outward to our, our peers in the organization, being able to measure it and count it raises mm-hmm. the credibility of our anecdotes. And the, the feel-good anecdotes are nice, too. But it's good to have some backup on that. And it all gets back to, do, do we know what we've accomplished or not? Mm-hmm. What we've actually accomplished. Yeah. Can you declare a victory or not? Did you win the game? You're like, yeah. I think I won the game, but I'm not really sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think I think leaders postpone celebration or recognition or saying thank you because they're not sure if they won the game, if they should even say thank you yet. That's right. But you know, if you if you're really noticing those moments of accomplishment, mm-hmm. then you can celebrate in the end zone at every touchdown. You know, yeah. You can celebrate oh, cool. the game too, but you can you can celebrate along the way. But you know, I, I try to celebrate accomplishments rather than celebrating effort because if a team can make it look easy and just march down the field easily, that doesn't mean their their touchdown was easier than someone else's touchdown. It means they're better. Okay, they mm-hmm. did it away, right? So I just try to focus on accomplishments. Yeah, I like that. Whether they're grinding it out, running the ball, probably, yeah. you know, every couple yards, every run. Or if they throw one long, beautiful pass, yeah. Points Either are way, they put a lot into it, or part of the practice is there. I could kind of run with this metaphor for days. But yeah. man, I love it. I love talking about this. Yeah. Uh, so last question here. A lot of interesting ground covered on very practical, you know, some good um stories mixed in here and illustrations. We talked about getting your senior executives and other teams to work together. Uh, we talked about what high performers have in common, the steady trickle of pleasant surprises, um, not confusing effort with results, just some really good stuff in there. Kind of set out, set out to one more question here. What is the parting thought that you'd like for the listeners to take away? Hmm. I would say, uh, you know, if you there's a common thread between all of these different teams that we've just discussed, you know, measure your effort, work together, you know, have some boundaries on your life, and but grind it out when you have to. And at the end of the day, when you get the results, that'll be a pleasant surprise for you and hopefully for your boss and uh, and your team, and we'll all we'll all pat ourselves on the back and keep going, and we'll it'll build a a self reinforcing kind of virtuous cycle. That getting to results and and having everybody around you working together is it's a it's a great way to operate and it's, mm. it's a very rewarding environment to be in and that's what we try to build here every day and I think it's what other leaders out there are trying to do and hopefully some of this will they'll they'll find something in here that they like that they can adapt. Mm. Great stuff today, Keith. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Thank you for having me, Ben. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free 
signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.